comes from Philemon 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in the chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favour you will do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confidence of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. It's away for a couple of weeks, and so we're having a couple of just one-off talks. Uh, this morning, I need to preface this by saying, I think there's about 18,000 different ways to say the title of this letter. Elaine said Philemon, I'm saying Philemon. So get your giggles out now. Uh, that's what we're going with for the next 60, 70 minutes. Uh, it's a great letter. I've really enjoyed um, looking at it the past week, so I pray that you will enjoy it as well this morning. Uh, let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that even in this uh, pretty small, very personal letter, uh, we can see great gospel truths. We thank you for that fact. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, <clears throat> in a TV show I was watching recently, one of the main characters, he was faced with a crime and he said these words. He said, I pray that human beings can change their nature because if we can't, we're in big trouble. And I thought that was quite an interesting comment. I feel like often through the world, particularly in the media, surface level change is the norm. 
Uh, people don't really need to change their nature. People just need to say the right apology. They need to fly the right flag or wear the right badge. Which means that all the more we as Christians need to be reminding ourselves that as followers of Christ, we are called to a real, deep, lasting, substantial change. To turn from our old selves. As we continue on in our Christian walk, to never stop changing. To be sanctified. To be made more and more like Christ. Change is very important as Christians. Uh, this morning we're looking at Philemon, and it's a book that is all about change. It's one of the most uh, personal letters in the New Testament, but it holds very real, great truths about how the gospel should, and we pray is, changing our lives. Uh, in your New Testament, it's, it's sandwiched between the pastoral epistles of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus on one side, and the book of Hebrews on the other side. And in the middle, you've got this very small, half a page long letter to someone that I doubt any of us really know much about concerning a topic that we may not quickly be able to understand just reading through the letter once and at first glance not containing those grand gospel truths of the books around it. Now that assessment of this letter is very wrong. I, like I said, I've loved looking at it this past week. It's a letter that I think not only contains rich gospel truths, but also helps us as we think through how we might and should apply those truths in our lives. It's a letter that preaches the gospel should affect our lives. That we should continue to grow and be changed as Christians. The question I hope uh, we are asking ourselves as we think about it this morning is does the gospel change my life? Uh, I don't really have a structure this morning, which is always good news, but the, uh, the letter itself can pretty easily be split up into three main sections. If you've got a Bible, please do open it, because it's helpful to see the whole letter as a whole. Uh, the three main sections are, really, Paul's greeting at the beginning, then his thanksgiving, and then his request. That's how the letter is split up. Firstly, though, some context. Philemon is written by Paul, verse 1, while he was a prisoner, which is probably in Rome. And we can see from, uh, there's a number of overlapping details and comments, which mean that it's most likely that Philemon was written and delivered at the same time as the books of Colossians and Ephesians. They will have kind of been carried in the same hand luggage by the deliverer, so to speak. And as is always the case with Paul's letters, how Paul introduces himself is very important. And here in Philemon, how he doesn't introduce himself is very important. Uh, in many of Paul's letters, including both Colossians and Ephesians, which were sent at the same time, he calls himself Paul, an apostle of Christ. He doesn't use that word here. He doesn't use the word apostle. Have that in the back of your minds as we think through the letter. Uh, Paul is writing to this man he calls a brother, Philemon, as well as a fire and Archippus, and the church that meets in their home, verse 2. Uh, a fire and Archippus, they're assumed to be Philemon's wife and son. And I think that makes sense. 
Uh, Paul calls Aphia his sister near the beginning. And we know from the book of Colossians chapter 4 that Archippus is a gifted ministry worker. He's a gifted ministry worker that Paul is encouraging in the book of Colossians to continue in his work. All of that to say, this letter is written to a gospel-minded, godly family. And more than just outwardly appearing nice and faithful, uh, they have a church meeting in their home, verse 2. This is a family that not only uh, talks the talk, but walks the walk. They are actively serving Christ as they serve his people. Does the gospel change our lives? And I think that fact is interesting, isn't it? That the letter is in no way, it's, it's not just addressed to Philemon, even though it's called that. No, it's addressed also to his immediate family and his church family. This is a letter that contains problems and thoughts that they are to work through as one, together. It's a good reminder, I think, of the importance of the brothers and sisters in Christ that we have here in this room, to work through things together, to support one another as we face trials and suffering or problems. Uh, Well, Paul, he moves very quickly from his greeting there at the beginning into his thanksgiving, verses 4 to 7. And here it's made even clearer how good of a man Philemon is. I wonder if I was to ask you how you would like to be described, what you would say. Particularly, how you would like to be described by other Christians. People who know what it is to act in line with God's word. Look at how Paul describes Philemon in verses 4 to 7. I always thank God for you. I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love. Your love gives me encouragement. You have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Philemon is a great guy. Does our love give others joy and encouragement? Or are we the type of person who makes people feel worse about themselves or judged in some way? Are we doing everything we can to refresh the hearts of Christians around us? I think that's a great way to think as we speak with and live life with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Am I helping refresh your hearts? Uh, Well, it's clear from these verses, again, that not only is Philemon head of a godly household, he himself lives out that godliness in his day-to-day life. Another of Paul's letters, Ephesians, says we should be living a life of love, just as Christ loved us. It seems that in nearly every sense, this is how Philemon was living. Uh, Well, that's Paul's thanksgiving. He is thankful for uh, Philemon and his character. We now get to the, the, the biggest section of the letter, which is Paul's request. And really, this is why Paul is writing the letter. And it's to do with a slave called Onesimus, uh, not Onesimus, as someone called it earlier this week when I was talking to them about the book. Onesimus. Uh, As soon as I bring up the word slavery, which is what Onesimus was, I'm sure that for many of us we have images pop up in our minds, uh, images of race-based slavery that much of the Western world uh, knows of and is familiar with. Uh, The slavery spoken of in the New Testament is different to that. Uh, You weren't owned on the basis of your race. If you walked past a slave in the street, you wouldn't necessarily know that they were a slave. 
It wasn't uncommon for them to be almost just another hired hand around your house. However, it was still slavery. It was still owning another human being. It's still the idea that another human is your economic asset to be used for your own gain. And while it wasn't unheard of for them to be treated well, it was also not uncommon for them to be treated horribly. Paul says in his other letters, as he addresses slaves directly, if you can get out of slavery, do. It's better for you to be out of slavery than in it. And so this is the context of slavery at the time, and Philemon owns a slave. I think we can assume, given his character, that he's probably a great owner. But what has happened is this slave, a man named Onesimus, has wronged Philemon in some way. Uh, The name Onesimus, it literally means useful, which makes us read verse 11 kind of uh, humorously. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. And then verse 18, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, dot, 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 it's clear Onesimus has done something. Uh, Whether he's stolen or he's run away, He's not with his owner like he should be, and it's clear that Paul expects he owns Philemon something, and he needs to be sent back to him. Now, put yourself in Philemon's shoes then. This is a real letter sent to a real man, uh, and as he's reading through this, he's just heard how uh, thankful Paul is for him, how encouraged Paul is by his love for others, how much he cares for those Christians around him. And then he gets to verse 10, and he hears that Paul has had a son. And what that means is someone has become a Christian. Paul has brought someone to Christ. Again, think what you'd be feeling as Philemon reading this letter. You're feeling good. You're feeling good about yourself. You feel massively encouraged that Paul has brought someone to know and love the Lord. I'd do anything to help that son. And then you read that line, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. Oh, why him? Now this guy has caused problems for my family. He owes me. Maybe he's stolen or run away. This is the guy that Paul is writing to me about, Mr. Useful. I'm sure that it would be very difficult to react well and not emotionally as Philemon as you read these words. And I think, again, does the gospel change lives? There are two very small things to think about here. Firstly, how to bring up a difficult topic or issue with a Christian brother or sister. Paul is very, very tactful through this letter. He doesn't rush into what he knows will be an emotional issue for Philemon. He takes his time. He genuinely thanks him for how encouraging he is to him. And only then does he sensitively bring Onesimus up? He's very thoughtful. Are we the same during difficult conversations or do we have the temptation to be tactless or to just get things sorted out in a small amount of time as possible with no thought for ramifications? Uh, Be thoughtful. And secondly, do we receive things well? Now look at how sure Paul is of how Philemon will receive the news of Onesimus. Verse 8, 
Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, I appeal to you on the basis of love. And then verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Uh, Paul knows he could order Philemon to act a certain way, but he doesn't. And that's why he didn't introduce himself as apostle in the first verse of the letter. He's corresponding with Philemon as a friend and as a brother, not with kind of apostolic authority, and he's certain that Philemon will react well. He doesn't even really need to say much because he knows, even though it's a difficult situation, Philemon will respond well. And so are we the kind of person that people dread to bring anything up with because we can be argumentative or contrary or defensive? No, like Philemon, as Christians, we need to receive advice or difficult issues or rebuke with care and sensitivity and love and humility. Does the gospel change our lives? Uh, Well, what is the request? What is it that Paul wants? Why is he writing this letter? We only hear his request directly over halfway through the letter. Verse 17, So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Uh, Paul wants to send Onesimus back, and he wants Philemon to receive him as he would have received Paul. Uh, we can see, you can see from verse 13 that Paul didn't want to send Onesimus back. He knows that with his new faith, he'd be a, a huge asset to Paul's ministry. But he recognizes Philemon's right as the owner of Onesimus, and so he knows he needs to send him back. But he wants him received as he himself, as Paul, would have been received. Uh, and Mark Twain's The Prince and the Pauper, if you've read it, The storyline goes that the main character, Tom Canty, is a poor boy who lives in a poor family and has nothing. On the other hand, Edward Tudor is a prince who lives in the palace, is rich beyond all comprehension, and is next in line for the throne. Uh, Two total opposites. Uh, But through a series of events, these two boys realise that they look identical, and so they end up swapping positions. Edward stands in as the son of a poor, poverty-stricken family, while Tom Canty is welcomed, praised, and treated as a prince, and eventually as a king. Our people had no idea who Tom really was, and so they treat him as they would have Edward. Have a think about the request Paul is making of Philemon here. Paul is in many ways, he's the head of the worldwide church. He holds the most influence. He teaches. Even from jail, he's influencing and is in constant communication with the church around the world. He personally brought Philemon to faith. You can see in verse 19, you owe me your very self. And so you can imagine just how he would have been greeted if he'd come to visit Philemon and his church. It would have been the most important event in that church's life. Onesimus is a slave. More than that, he's probably an absent, disobedient slave who's made the life of Philemon and his family difficult in lots of ways. 
So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. That is Paul's request. And more than that, charge all that Onesimus owes to me. I will pay it back, he says. Don't just welcome him, forget all the debts that he owes. Uh, That is largely the letter of Philemon. It's a letter from Paul to a slave owner asking him to welcome back a slave that has wronged him as he would the Apostle Paul. Uh, As we finish, I think there's there's lots of things we can see from this letter. It is a great letter, uh, but two things in particular. Firstly, on the issue of slavery. Because I think it's common, uh, you may be thinking this yourself, I think it's common for people to feel let down by Paul in this letter. Uh, Paul doesn't explicitly say that slavery is wrong. Uh, Paul doesn't seem to be trying to abolish slavery. Why? Uh, Does he think that slavery is good? He's literally sending a slave back to his owner. He can't think it's that bad. And so on this point, I think we need to look deeper at what's being said. And we need to be clear on what Paul is and isn't trying to do. What Paul is not trying to do, he's not trying to abolish the worldwide slavery market. Now, this is a personal letter to one man and his family and his church. And so Paul's intention as he writes this is to change this man's attitude and to show him how the gospel should affect and change him and his life. Now, we don't know how Philemon treats his slaves. I think judging by his character, like uh, I said before, uh, we can probably be sure that he's a great owner. Judging by his character, judging by the fact that Paul is comfortable sending a slave back to him, judging by how Paul is sure of how he will respond, it's probably pretty fair to assume that Philemon is a good owner. He probably treats his slave with fairness and respect. However, he still has slaves, and he obviously still sees them as slaves. Uh, He, as well as the culture around him at the time, sees them as slaves first and foremost, if not solely, and nothing more than that. And so what Paul says is very important. Verse 17 is the main request of the letter, but verse 15 and 16 are the main point of the letter. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Philemon, you treat your slave good, but I am asking you to go above and beyond just what is good. Paul is asking Philemon to treat Onesimus as a brother and no longer as a slave. That is a huge change in attitude. But that's exactly what Paul wants from Philemon. He wants him to be sanctified, for him to change and continue changing as a result of the gospel. Treat him as a brother, he says. And that means, I think, I don't think we can see it many other ways, I think it means set him free. I will pay off all his debts 
and you will treat him no longer as a slave, but as a brother. More than this, and feel free to chat to me if you see this differently, I think Paul is wanting Philemon to set him free so that Onesimus can come and help Paul in his ministry. Look at some of the things that are said through the letter. He has become useful to me. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could help me. I didn't want to do anything without your consent. He's no longer a slave, but a brother. Charge me. I will pay back what he owes. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Uh, Paul is wanting the gospel to change the life and the attitude of Philemon. See him as a brother and send him back to me to do gospel work. To treat this brother in Christ as a brother in Christ. To turn from what the culture around him is doing. And so the question for us is, does the gospel change our lives? Uh, in the third Godfather movie, which is the undisputed high point of the series, according to everyone, uh, Michael Corleone, the main character, says at one point, he says, what is the point of confessing if I don't repent? Uh, that murdering mobster had the right idea. As Christians, we should turn from sin and be changed. Not just in words, but in action. But it's very easy to not change, to be stagnant, to stop changing. Uh, I was on a plane recently, and uh, there was a kid in my row. He was maybe five or six years old, and it was obviously his first flight, because he was happy in general. But uh, as soon as the tyres of the plane left the ground, he put, he put his hands in the air like this, and just yelled, at the top of his voice, I'm flying. And it was, it was very endearing. It was a very nice thing to see. But I have very little doubt that in 20 years, sadly, that kid will not be doing that anymore. Uh, the novelty of him flying will have worn off. And it can often be the same for us as Christians. When we first become Christians, or maybe through periods of particular growth, we want to change everything. Uh, we're looking for all the things we can change, all the ways that we can grow, all the habits we can make, the people we can meet up with and encourage. But over time, inevitably, that drive fades. We stop desiring growth and we can get drawn back into our old life or the culture around us. Instead, we need to grow and change just as Paul is calling for here to see where we may need to change, to read God's word so that we see what we can and should change. Not change for the sake of change, but change for the sake of the gospel. This will look differently for all of us, listening properly to that person who you get bored of listening to, learning to control our frustrations on the road, making an effort to talk to that person after church who people don't talk to. Stop watching, listening, or reading that which you know tempts you to sin. Changing your mindset when it comes to that family member that frustrates you. Stop tempting fate by getting as close to the flame as you can with that friend or workmate. Learning to see our brothers and sisters in Christ here on a Sunday as our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because that is a great truth. 
Uh, We all struggle. We all need to continue to change. What a comfort is it to know that we will change and we will grow together as the body of Christ. Let the gospel change us as Christians. Read his word. Uh, We saw last week that as we read his word, we will change. So look to it. So make sure we are growing and changing. Uh, But also, very quickly, the book of Philemon shows us very clearly the love that Christ has for us. Uh, Martin Luther said that the letter of Philemon makes him think of Christ because how Paul speaks of Onesimus is how Christ speaks of us. Listen to what he says. He became my son. He is useful to me. He is my very heart, no longer a slave, but a brother. He is very dear to me, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Friends, we are set free in Christ. He took every debt we owe. Verse 18, if he has done any wrong, charge it to me, Christ says. We have done wrong. We do not deserve the salvation that we have received through Christ but we have been given it freely and we have been set free. Paul wrote this letter that Philemon and we might see how the gospel should change our lives, that we might turn from sin and be saved, that Christ has set us free, that he loves us dearly and we should go and show that love to others, our brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's a great letter. And I pray that we will be encouraged to have the gospel change our lives as a result of it. Let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this letter. Thank you for the, uh, the faithfulness and the godliness of Philemon. Uh, how sure Paul was that he would react well and faithfully in his response to what he said to him. I thank you for Paul and his wisdom and his tact as he addressed Philemon. Uh, And I pray that all of us here in this room would uh, be affected and grow as a result of reading these words. Uh, If we need to change things, help us to have the wisdom to see that and the discipline to do it. And I pray that we would uh, rest not on our own strength, but on the strength of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.